You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, this morning I also have the privilege of introducing one of our ministry partners that's making a huge difference in the city of Charlotte and in our region. And they're going to share a story with you and give you an opportunity to be a part of some ministry that's happening this, this coming Saturday. And all of this really fits in to our mission of connect, grow, serve, and go as well. What they're going to talk about is going to lead us right into the message. What I want to talk with you today about from Micah chapter 6. But would you welcome my friend Andre Gonzalez, who's with Love Life Charlotte. He's going to tell us about the opportunity that's before us this week. Would you give Andre a hand? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Farrell, and thank you, Grace Covenant, for adopting week 35 out of our 40-week journey of hope. Raise your hand if you've been a part of our prayer walks in the past. Raise your hand real high. Awesome. So many of you have, and some of you haven't. So we've been doing a 40-week journey of hope where we've been getting churches to adopt one week out of our 40 weeks, and God's been doing amazing stuff. And so check this out. In the past 34 weeks, you guys are adopting week 35, but in the past 34 weeks, we've seen 367 moms that were headed to the abortion center to have an abortion, and they chose life. Come on. Thank you, God. Human beings, we're going to see, live. As a, we also seen, check this, I've also seen over 10,000 people participate in the prayer walk in the past 34 weeks. Thank you, Lord. And check this out. We've seen six abortion workers leave that abortion center and uh, not want to get involved in that, that industry anymore. And as a result, several of them are in the local church and are doing really good in God now. Come on. We've also, in the past 34 weeks, we've seen 27 moms choose life on Saturday right when we're doing the prayer walk. Come on. 27 human beings are going to get to live and be given the opportunity to graduate from high school, go to college, given the opportunity to marry and have children of their own. Human beings are going to get to live. So here's our mission statement. Love Life Charlotte, we're uniting and mobilizing the church to create a culture of love and life that will result to an end to abortion and the orphan crisis. We believe abortion is not going to end through a politician or legislation. We believe the abortion is going to end when the church shows up to the darkest place in our city. We believe God has called the church to shape the culture and politicians and legislations will follow that. Follow that culture. Come on church. So I want you to hear the tragic truth of abortion. And many of you guys uh, maybe have never heard this. I had not heard it two and a half years ago. But here's the tragic truth that abortion is the leading cause of death in the city of Charlotte. Not cancer, not car accidents, not heart disease. That 150 to 200 babies are killed every week in our city. That literally 23 minutes down the road is the largest abortion center in the entire Southeast. That location does more abortions than any facility in Miami, Orlando, Jacksonville, Atlanta, or Raleigh. That one does the most abortions in, our, in the Southeast. Did you know that one in four women will have an abortion in their lifetime? That also means one in four men will be a part of an abortion. We, we believe that this is more of a man's issue 
that it is a woman's issue. If men were taking their rightful place as the men of God that God's called them to be, these women would not be put in the situation in the first place. All right, men? Come on, men. So men, we are asking you guys to be defenders and protectors of women and children. So men, I'm encouraging, let's get in this. So oftentimes it's the women that are showing up and being involved in this. Men, I'm calling us to be defenders and protectors of, of women and children. Did you know that 54% of people that are having abortions claim to be Christians? In fact, 54% of people that are having abortions were actually in an evangelical church within the month of their abortion. So we're saying, God, have your way. God, do something amazing. So I've got an amazing thing for you. First of all, as we've been out there for the past two and a half years, we've seen 1,100, over 1,100 moms choose life in the past two and a half years. And today, we have um, one of those moms and one of those babies that has been saved. Would you welcome with me Robin and her mentor, Nikki? Yeah. This is a result. A human baby saved as a result of the church showing up and this courageous mama for choosing life. Come on. So, Robin, you find yourself at 19 pregnant. And uh, what made you want to get an abortion? Uh, I have a four-year-old at home, so I didn't know how I was going to have, I had him at 16, so I didn't know how I was going to have two kids at 19 and how, what I was going to do. So I ended up there. So it was a Wednesday when she went to the abortion center there off Latrobe, and Wednesday we're asking you all to fast and pray. And what we're seeing is a 70% drop in abortions taking place on Wednesday when the church is fasting and praying, and on Saturday when we're doing the prayer walk. And I want to remind you about something. I don't know if you knew this or not, but two years ago when you guys partnered with us, over 400 of you signed up to pray and fast, and, and uh, probably 200 of you guys came for the, for the prayer meeting on Wednesday, only five people showed up for an abortion that Wednesday. Because of you guys. You guys participated on Wednesday. Okay, so you go to the abortion center. It's on Wednesday. And uh, tell us what happened. Well, it was raining, and Nikki, um, one of the ladies from Love Life, came outside with the the umbrella and asked me if I wanted to talk to her about Jesus. So I went in the RV with her, and I got an ultrasound, and that's what made me change my mind, seeing him actually inside of me. Yeah. So she saw a picture of her baby on the ultrasound, and she chose life. Come on. That is awesome. And you got connected to the mentor program. And uh, what's it like for you now to have a mentor, someone in your life? Uh, Having a mentor is always someone I can talk to about anything. It's not necessarily always easily easy to talk to your parents, you know, not not knowing how they'll react to things. So uh, having someone that's outside and you're able to talk to her about anything without being judged is really nice. Yeah, so cool, so cool. And Nikki, Nikki is her mentor. Nikki, would you just tell these guys what it was like for you and God spoke to your heart about being a mentor? 
Um, I was part of week 40 last year. So once we go to the walk, and this was my first time ever going to a walk, so I've heard about it, but once you put um, the reality of actually getting to the abortion center, praying, and actually seeing it for yourself, once we got back and they have different tents set up, so I decided that um, I was going to be a mentor. And as I did my mentoring, we did our training, and by... I said we, we the walk was in November. By February, I was partnered with Robin, um, and just being a mentor with her makes it real to see the vision actually come to life. To see someone that the enemy was trying to take a child and ended up saving a life. So in the, being able to see it go full circle of what this program is about is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Give him a hand, guys. Give him a hand. So church, I'm calling you to action today. This is how we know what love is, that Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Will you join us this Wednesday and fast and pray with us? And then this Saturday, will you go? We're not going to protest. We're not going to shout. We're not going to shame anybody. We're going to worship and we're going to intercede and we're going to watch God use those prayers to see human beings get saved. Will you join us, church? Thank you. Look forward to seeing you. I would ask you to take a moment right now to fill out the Love Life card. There's a card that's in your worship guide. This is what I know. If you take that card home, we'll never see it again. And we want you to join us to fast and pray on Wednesday. This Wednesday, we're going to take the day. You may not be able to come here on site. We're going to pray from 12 to 1. We would love to have you join us, but with work and travel and possibly you can't make it. But you, wherever you're at, what I know is you can fast and pray. So fill out the little card. And what's going to happen, and when they have the information, they're going to be able to email you prayer points. They're going to be able to remind you on Tuesday what's happening Wednesday. Also on Thursday, Love Life Charlotte will be sending you an email giving you the information about the walk. It's from 9 to 11 on Saturday. I'm going to be there, and I would invite you to join me there as we simply act justly. I'm going to talk with you in a moment about acting justly, but this is what it looks like when the body of Christ, when the church becomes a voice for the innocent, becomes a voice for the one who has no voice. We show up, we, we, we pray and we worship. So again, fill out that little card. I'm going to give you just a minute. The ushers are actually going to come back and pick those up. So once you filled it out, if you would pass it to the inside Make it easier for the ushers to, to pick those up. And this morning we're going to actually talk about the very thing that you're signing up to do. So, so you've, you have, you've been presented the opportunity. Now I'm going to talk with you about the why. The why from God's Word. So if you have your Bible, look with me to the book of Micah. The book of Micah is the Old Testament. Jonah, Obadiah, Micah. Some of you haven't been there in a while. Uh, so let me tell you what page it's on. If you have a pew Bible there, I'm going to make it really easy for you. It's page 759. Now, if you're not using the pew Bible, it's probably not going to work, okay? So um, page 759, the book of Micah. 
Have you ever asked God this question? God, what do you want? Have you ever pondered just the thought, God, what are you requiring of me? What do you you want of me? As we look at this passage of Scripture, God's bringing a a case or a charge against the Jewish people. And he, he speaks of all that he's done for Israel, yet they've turned away from him. It's almost like God's calling them to accountability. In the midst of the passage that we're going to read in, in just a moment, they're asking God this question, God, what do you want from us? But the challenge here is the Israelites, the, the children of God, the people of God, they're not acting like the people of God, but they're calling themselves the people of God because they want the blessing of God, but their actions are not lining up with that of the profession. But as they're asking God this question, what do you want of me? They're asking it in a very um, sarcastic, mocking, uh, disparaging way, almost like thumbing their nose at God. Like, God, what do you want of us? Like, you're so demanding. Now, I don't think we should ask God in that way. I don't think we should have that attitude. However, I think it's good for us to say, God, what do you, what do you want of me? What are you requiring of me? How many of you know it's difficult to hit a target if you don't know what the target is? Right? If you don't know what the target is and you're just like flinging arrows every which direction, you're probably never going to hit the target. Right? Because you don't know... You know where the target's at. What we need to define the target so we can know if we hit the target. So I think it's really important that we know what God wants. And then we understand, we, we understand what God values. Looking there to your sermon notes, following Jesus is more than repentance and acceptance. That's the critical first step. Repentance and acceptance is the critical first step to begin the first faith journey. But we are called to work out, to work out our faith on a daily basis. We're called to live our lives on a daily basis in such a way that we honor God with our lives. L- listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12. I know you're in Micah, so stay there. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, reading from the message paraphrase, I really like the way it's stated From that particular um, translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. Your eating, sleeping, going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture that you fit in to the culture without even thinking. Instead... Fix your attention on God. So according to this passage of Scripture, our goal should be to live our lives in such a way that we honor God. To live our lives in such a way that we're walking out our faith. You know, this, this faith life is kind of like, if you can think of it like this, it's kind of like a marathon race. You know, every marathon race has a beginning And hopefully it has an end, right? You're not just running on forever. There's a beginning and there's an end. The beginning is the starting line. It's the starting place. If you can think of it like this, your salvation is the starting place. When you repented, when you accepted Christ, what you began the race. The end, the finish line is when you take your last breath on this earth or when Jesus comes back. That's the end of the race. There's the starting point. There's the ending point. Everything in between 
is your life living out the faith. Living out your life in such a way that you're honoring God with your life and your actions, your decisions. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 12. Taking your everyday normal life and living it in such a way that you're bringing honor to God. Yeah, go ahead and pick up those cards. That's what they're doing. If you pass those down, I'm sorry. I just went on and forgot about that. Thank you, ushers, for coming down there. Our ushers are doing an awesome job. So we're living out we're living out our faith. We're following our church. Interesting in Luke six forty six, Luke six forty six, Jesus asked this question or he made this statement. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Wow. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you profess me to be Lord of your life and then you go do your own thing? Jesus was saying, Hey, there's a disconnect here. He says, if you call me Lord and I'm truly Lord of your life, then it's your life submitted and surrender me. You can't say, well, I'm going to go do whatever I want or hell with the Bible. I'm just going to go live however want I live. Listen, you can't do that and be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. She says, you can't call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. If you're going to call me Lord, then there's a point of response. There's a point of responsibility. You're saying, hey, I want to follow Jesus. Well, as we come to this book, the book of Micah, the problem with the people of God is they've not been following God. Maybe professing God, we are the people of God, but they're not following God. Beyond that, they've kind of turned to idol worship. The worship of false gods. Spiritual, they've committed spiritual adultery. So Micah, the prophet, the man of God, is confronting the people of God about how they're living their lives. And as we come to Micah chapter 6, I'm going to read a few verses this morning. If you have your Bibles, Micah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and, and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, canceled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shedem to, to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And this is their response. This is a sarcastic response from the people. Verse 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? But notice how God answers the key verse in the text, verse 8. God says, I've showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Notice, God says, I'm going to show you what's good. I'm going to show you what's required. Yeah, I believe that God reveals to us what's good because right actions bring honor to God. 
Right actions position us to be a blessing to others. Right actions open your life, open my life to be blessed by God. Not only does God show us what's good, but He shows us what's required. He shows us what's required because, listen, God has expectations of us of how we live out our lives. In other words, the standard has been established. You don't get to set the standard. You don't get to say, well, this is how I want to live my life. Listen, when did you become God? Were you the creator of the earth? Did you give your own self life? I don't think so. But there's an ex- God says, this is what's required. In other words, there's expectation. God, I think, reveals to us what's required because he's going to judge us or reward us according to how we live our lives. In other words, this life really matters. So God's saying, I want you to know. I want you to be involved. I want you to know what the target is. I believe that God reveals to us what's required because even though our faith is personal, you made the decision on your own. It's personal to you. It must be lived out. Your faith must be lived out in a public way. Personal to you, but it must be publicly lived out, fleshed out on a daily basis. So what is it, what is it that God requires of us? Let's unpack this this morning. We're going to look at the first statement. We're spending three weeks in verse 8. Today I want to talk with you about the first thing that God requires of us as Christ followers. First thing He requires of us is that we act justly. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, act justly. Tell him again, act justly. I like how verse 8 reads from the message paraphrase. Every once in a while it's stated a little different and it kind of just helps us grab a hold to what the scripture is saying. Let me read it from the message paraphrase. But he's already made it plain, notice, how to live, what to do, and what God's looking for. How to live, what to do, and what God's looking for. In men and women, in folks like us, it's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. You know, what's clearly defined in the Bible, and you see this from Genesis to Revelation, is that God is just and He loves justice. Our God is a just, is a just God. Listen, He didn't have to go to law school to learn how to be just. His justice flows out of His righteousness. God is just. And he loves justice. In Psalm 33, verse 5, listen to how the scripture reads. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So, so God is just and what he, he requires of us that we act justly. So what does it look like? What's biblical justice look like? You know, there's a, there's a whole buzz now going on about, um, you know, social justice and what's happening in our culture and there's this whole political thing playing out and we could have a long conversation about social justice as it relates to the politics of our community today. But more more than social justice, I'm really interested in what's biblical justice. What does God have to say about what it looks like to be just. So biblical justice, looking there to your notes, biblical justice involves making individuals, communities, and the cosmos whole by upholding both goodness and impartiality. 
Biblical justice involves caring about the things that God cares about. It, it involves restoring wholeness to broken and needy people. And in actual practice, this means that, that we deliver the downtrodden and the oppressed and we focus upon that which is ethical and relational. It means, again, that we do what's right and fair. So acting justly is more than just talking. And we can talk a good talk. But acting justly means this. We, we move into action. Now, you know, biblical justice can never be divorced from mercy and love. I'll talk more about that in the, in the coming weeks. In actual practice, what we're, we're living out our lives. So we're delivering the downtrodden. So what does it look like when the church acts justly? What does it look like when you act justly? Let, let me give you three statements really quick this morning. I think first... When, when we act justly, we act as we take a stand and condemn injustice. In other words, we, we allow our voice to be heard as we stand up, as we speak up, and as we move into action, as we confront that which is wrong, which is unfair and unjust. In other words, we don't just sit back and allow evil to play out. We don't just sit back and, and do nothing. No, we take a stand. We move into action. We confront the wrong and we bring about, again, what's right, what's just, and what's fair. Now, this is not always easy to do. Sometimes it can make you really uncomfortable. Sometimes it can take you outside of your comfort zone because justice often runs contrary to that of human interests. It's not primarily about success and profit. And our culture today is so driven by success and profit. But justice is about principles and people. It's about doing right. It's about respecting others. It's what justice, it's what justice looks like. So let me give you just a, a couple of examples, a couple of scenarios of what it looks like when we stand up and condemn injustice. Let's say that you're a student, maybe a middle school student here this morning, or a high school student, or a college student, and you're walking down the hall and you see someone being bullied. You see someone being taken advantage of, someone maybe who's nameless, you don't even know who they are, but you see this injustice playing out and that someone's, uh, again, bullying them, taking advantage of them, rather than just passing by and ignoring the situation, even though you don't know who they are, what do you do? You stand up and you speak up. You step into the situation and say, hey, this is unacceptable. What's that? It's called acting justly. It's called condemning injustice. Or possibly, possibly in your workplace, you see a situation where people are being taken advantage of or where wrongs being done. You don't just stick your head in the sand and do nothing and say nothing. No, what does it look like when we act justly? We stand up and we condemn injustice. Now, you don't have to be ugly. You don't have to be ungodly. But you just bring the voice of God, the perspective of God into the situation. And you say, well, pastor, I might get fired. Listen, let them fire you. God's got something better for you. That's what I believe. When you stand up for God, he's going to show up for you. Listen, we can't just let injustice play out. We can't just let evil play out. What does it look like when we act justly? We stand up and we condemn the injustice. It was the very thing we talked about this morning with Love Life Charlotte and this issue of abortion, this evil that's happening right here in our city. 
Listen, this is not like in another country. This is not in another nation. It's not even in another state. It's right here in our city. We have the largest abortion clinic in the southeast region of the United States, right here in our city. You heard Andre say every week, 150 to 200 babies' lives are being taken. We can't just stick our head in the sand and pretend like nothing's happening. Well, that's down in the city. No, but we, we have a responsibility to be a voice for the voiceless. We have a responsibility to stand up and condemn the injustice. Again, we don't have to be ungodly about that. We don't have to rant and rave and, and, and picket and carry signs. No, what do we do? The church shows up and we worship. The church shows up and we pray. The church shows up and represents the love of Christ in a situation where evil's happening. What is that called? It's called acting justly. That's what it looks like. When we act justly, we take a stand and we condemn injustice. Secondly, to act justly means this. We act as we refuse to show partiality, but we treat everyone, everyone, every single one with fairness. In other words, we don't have favorites. We don't have favorites where we value one person or one group of people over another group of people, or will we treat one person or one group of individuals better than another? In other words, we don't have double standards. We treat every single person with respect and honor. That's what it looks like when we act, when we act justly. Here's a few questions for you. Just think about, think about your life, your situation as I present just a couple questions to get you thinking. Do you show more courtesy to a well-dressed businessman or businesswoman than you do a homeless person dressed in tattered clothes? Do you treat one different than the other? Do you treat people different because of the color of their skin? Like you treat one group better than another group simply because of how they look and the wonder of how God created them? Or do you treat one employee, if you're an employer, or peer at work better than someone else because they're your favorite, so they get all the extra perks while everyone else is overlooked? It's called injustice. So what what does it look like when we act justly? We refuse to show partiality, but we treat everyone with fairness, with honor, with respect. In James chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, listen how the scripture reads. Listen how strong the scripture addresses this. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Notice, but if you show favoritism, you sin, and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So acting justly means this. We don't play the favorites game. We treat everyone with fairness, respect, with honor. Lastly, to live justly means this. We act as we work for the good of the poor and the oppressed, the downtrodden. Individuals maybe who have been broken by life. We, we work for their good. I said, we, we can't simply ignore the poor and the oppressed in our community and in our nation. We have a responsibility as followers of Christ. We have a responsibility to work for the good 
of the poor, the oppressed. Listen, every single one of us can do, we can do something. And what I know is there's, there's no one in the room today who can solve the problem of world hunger all by yourself, all on your own. That's, that's a big challenge. But this is what I do believe. I believe that every single one of us can do something to make a difference in the life of an individual who's poor or oppressed. And as all of us do our something, whatever our something is, we'll make a difference in our community, we'll make a difference in our world. I mean, think about this. Try to get your mind around this. What if we mobilize the Grace Covenant family of over 2,000 people to work for the good of the poor and the oppressed? If we all did our something, do you think we might make a difference in our community? We just do our something. And in that maker, that's what Tim Rowley did. In 2011, Tim Rowley heard about a family in the city of Charlotte that was in a shelter. And they were moving from a shelter into an apartment to establish their home. So they were getting out of um, this shelter where they've been, been provided for finally getting an apartment. Tim heard about this family and realized that they were moving from the shelter into the apartment and they didn't have the basics of like bed, couch, table that the family could gather around and share a meal. So he got a couple of his buddies together and said, hey, there's this family moving from a shelter to an apartment. So what do you think about us gathering some, some home furnishing items and just taking it over and blessing them with it? And they did. And that became the seed for what today, one of our ministry partners, Beds for Kids. It started just like that, where one man acted justly. He saw a point of need. The next year, 2012, Beds for Kids ministered to 232 families, bringing, again, beds for the kids, kitchen tables, the basics Fast forward to today. Today, they are ministering to over 1,200 families every year, bringing them the basics. What? They're working for the good of the poor and the oppressed, making a difference in our city. That's one of the reasons we support Beds for Kids every month. Why? They are acting justly. But get this, it all began with one man. With Tim who said, hey, there's a family in need. And we could get them a bed for the kids. A kitchen table for the family to gather around. Working for the good of the poor and the person. Possibly you know the story of, of Millard Fillmore. Millard Fillmore was the founder of Habitat for Humanity. Let me tell you how it, how it all began. Millard and his wife knew a family that were living in a shack. Seven, seven members of the family. Mom, dad, five children living in a rundown shack that had no indoor plumbing. And Millard and his wife were having a conversation about this particular family and about what it would look like to act justly. And Miller and his wife helped build this family of seven, the first home. And that was the seed, that was the beginning of Habitat for Humanity, the establishing of affordable housing for individuals who might never own their own home. It started with one man who said, I'm going to act justly. Get this, today, today, Habitat for Humanity is in 1,400 communities across the United States and 70 nations around the world. And they have built housing for 13 million people around the world today. Isn't that amazing? It began 
with one man and his wife who acted justly, working for the good of the poor and the oppressed. Folks, I I don't know how to say this strong enough. This is so the heart of God. I mean, you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you begin to look for what the Scripture says about the poor and the heart of God for those who are disadvantaged, for for those who have been taken advantage of, for those who are poor, those who have been broken by the circumstances of life, whatever that might be. Listen, the heart of the Father is for the poor and the oppressed. You can't get away from that. And God is calling us. What is He requiring of us? act justly let me just give you a a couple of the verses so I want you to catch the heart of God concerning this issue in Psalm 140 verse 12 scripture says I know the Lord secures justice for the poor He he upholds the cause of the needy Proverbs 14 31 says you insult your maker when you exploit the powerless But notice the second part of this. When you're kind to the poor, you honor God. When you're kind to the poor, you worship God with your life. Proverbs 31.9 says, Speak up for the poor who have no voice. For the rights of all the down and outers. Speak out for justice. Stand up for the poor and the destitute. In James 1.27, God tells us what religion, pure religion, what church looks like. Church that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after the orphans and the widows, notice, in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Folks, what's clear from Scripture is that we have a responsibility to act on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. Listen, doing justice not only means that we're not doing wrong, but we're also actively doing right. We're restoring the broken. So acting justly means that we, we work. We work for the good of the, of the poor and the oppressed. So the next time you find someone who's poor and oppressed, someone who's being taken advantage of, I would encourage you to step up, to speak up. To get involved and you say, well, Pastor Farrell, is it going to be messy? Most likely it will be. You, Pastor Farrell, is it going to cost me? Most likely it will. Time, maybe some money. But the scripture says, as you care for the poor, you're giving honor to God. As you care for the poor. The scripture says, and there's other scriptures in Proverbs that talks about how God will reward you. As you step up, as you, as you act justly. I want to leave you with this quote. It's a powerful statement. I put it there in your notes this morning. Haley Selassie wrote these words. Throughout history, it's been the inaction of those who could have acted. The indifference of those who should have known better. And the silence of the voice of the just when it mattered most. That has made it possible for evil to triumph. May we not give evil an opportunity to triumph. May we be those who choose to honor God as we act justly. 
in an unjust world? What's God requiring of us? What's the target? The target is this, that we act justly, that we, that we act in fairness, and that we work, that we work for the good of the poor and the oppressed. It's that that honors God. It's that that God will reward. Our God is just, and He's calling us as His church to act justly. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank You this morning for Your, for your justice. God, I thank You that You are just. You're fair. You're good. You're righteous. You're holy. God, You've called us. It's so clear in Your Word, God. You've called us to act justly. To be a voice to the voiceless. Lord, to work for the good of the poor, the taken advantage of, the downtrodden, the oppressed. To act justly. So Holy Spirit, I pray today for myself. I pray for everyone in the room today. Lord, I, I, I really don't believe this is a message for one person. Lord, I, I believe it's a message for all of us, the church, the body of Christ. You're calling us. You're saying, this is what I require of you, that you would act justly. So Holy Spirit, I pray today. I pray first that you would give us eyes to see. Holy Spirit, help us to see the, the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, maybe those who have been taken advantage of. First, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. Because oftentimes we don't see the broken who are right before us. Second, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us the courage to stand up, to speak up, to be present. Because sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's it's difficult to be that that voice of justice in that in our workplace, that voice of justice in that classroom or that hallway at school where someone's being bullied. It, it's, it's, it's difficult to step up and, and to have the courage to act justly so Holy Spirit in the workplace, in our neighborhood, in our schools. Help us have the courage to be your voice, not in an ungodly way, not in an ugly way, but to be your voice and to act in a way that brings honor to you, to act justly. And Lord, we thank you in advance that as we step up, as we speak up, we thank you in advance for the fact that you're going to show up, you're going to bring resources, how are we going to care for the poor? Lord, I don't have the answer to that. But Lord, what I know is we find ourselves doing what you've called us to do, God. You meet us in the point of need that we can be, God, your presence here in our community. Because Lord, we thank you in advance already for how you're going to show up. Simply when we decide to stand up and speak up and to act justly. Holy Spirit, help us to that end, I pray. We would live our lives to honor you. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.